Okay, I think we'll get started. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome and thank you very much for your time today. And uh, for the next webinar in our series, sort of focus, I suppose, on the business side of medicine and uh, obviously the very important topic of insurances. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Stephen, Stephen Price, as uh, a financial advisor and owner of Indigo Financial Group. He's a qualified in financial planning and applied finance, and Steve has provided insurance tailored advice to the medical profession specifically for over a decade. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to throw over to Steve, but before I do that, just to remind you, down the bottom middle of your screen, on your Zoom screen, there's a Q&A box. So as we go through the presentation, please type any questions you've got, and then at the end of the presentations, I'll moderate a session and ask those questions of Stephen. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Price. Thanks, Paul. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, I just need to get some housekeeping out of the way first and just let you know that um, all this information is general advice in nature. So there's uh, obviously no uh, specific advice related to your personal circumstances. Um, if you do have questions of that nature after uh, after the presentation, then I would suggest that you would go and speak to your advisor or, or feel free to contact me um, privately afterwards. So why are we here? Uh, a few weeks ago, there were some rumours circulating uh, that uh, an insurer was looking to exclude uh, coronavirus uh, from, uh, from their insurance policies. Uh, that came to light in an ABC article uh, where it was yeah, revealed that Tal was that insurer. Um, some mixed messages really came out from that article. Um, and those messages were um, that one, people were going to be excluded from new policies, which means as a, as a new entrant into the insurance market, um, your policy would be affected by the way of exclusion uh, or potentially a loading, which would mean that your policy might cost more if you wanted to be covered for that. Um, the other mixed message that was coming out were, was that existing policyholders um, were not going to be covered. Um, and that, I think, was the most um, alarming, alarming item for, for a number of people, including my clients. Um, and we were, we were fielding a lot of calls from that. Um, the following the following afternoon, uh, Tal released a statement. Now, I've put this statement here um, because I think it's important, but you don't necessarily need to read it all now. This, this document's going to be provided to you um, tomorrow, I believe. But I guess the most important thing to come out of this statement was that uh, if you're an existing policy holder, um, you are covered for COVID-19, okay? Um, your, your policy is guaranteed renewable as long as your premiums are up to date. Um, so the, the insurer can't take that away from you. So that, that's probably the most important thing that, that came out from that statement from TAL. Um, and especially if you're a medical professional, they did make mention that if you are a medical professional, um, your existing policy, there, there is no effect on that. Um, what was contradictory though, to that was that um, in terms of their statement in the, in the article was the guidelines that they're um, looking to, they are looking to change their guidelines around 
underwriting. Now, underwriting is the assessment of your application. Okay, um, as of the 18th of March, there has been some um, changes to their underwriting process, and I'll get into a little bit about that now. Okay, so effectively, and not just with um, tell, and I, I don't want to focus too much on, on product. Um, so I'll just refer to them as the insurers um, from this point onwards, that the insurers um, have, I guess, classified um, you as medical professionals as a, as a high risk group. And so whilst there might not be any official documentation coming out, um, what I have seen um, and heard from a number of colleagues is that um, they're there is yeah modified terms um, being offered to select groups okay uh, and medical professionals is one of them um, questions are being raised around cold and flu symptoms previously those type of items when listed on an application would not cause any issue okay the applications would go straight through um, now we're finding that our clients are getting calls from the underwriter to clarify uh, information and, and the recent nature of that. Um, it's also for individuals with, with you know, uh, asthma. Uh, so if there's been recent symptoms of asthma, um, then there's going to be additional questions that our clients are, are facing around that. Uh, an important one too is overseas work and holiday plans. So that's a that's a question that comes up on applications. Now, the, the advice that I'm receiving from the underwriters is that if you have something booked within the next 12 months, you will be declined. Okay, so that's very important. If, you know, obviously there's a travel ban at the moment, um, but that will be lifted at some point and if you haven't cancelled tickets that you have in place at the moment and you disclose that you have something booked, then you will be declined. Um, and that's with most of the insurers uh, we're finding at the moment. Okay, uh, if you don't have anything booked, um, then effectively there's no definitive plan. So you wouldn't necessarily need to uh, advise that that's the case. Um, in terms of medical requirements, uh, for certain levels of cover, um, you're required to undergo various blood tests or, or various other requirements. Um, at the moment, there is a review underway, which is a, this is a positive thing that, that there's a review underway to waive some of those mandatory requirements. Um, a lot of people aren't comfortable with, um, with nurses coming to their residence or their workplace in order to conduct those types of medical tests at the moment, um, which is understandable. Um, and that's something that, um, yeah, there's probably an announcement that's going to be coming um, quite soon. The Financial Services Council um, came out with their announcement literally the, the afternoon um, when I completed this presentation. So I, I had to update this presentation. Um, it was good that they came out with this announcement. Um, it, it meant that, that it was holding all the insurers to account and um, effectively all the, all the major insurers had to commit to providing some level of cover to medical professionals and healthcare workers. I emphasize the word some though, okay, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
this just lists all the healthcare workers that they're providing cover for. But I think the most important um, fact of this statement is that there's limits, okay? There is limits to the amount of cover that they're holding the insurers to account for. And what I guess is most concerning from our perspective with our clients uh, and our new clients that are looking to get income protection cover is that they're only holding to account for a level of up to $4,000 a month. Um, the majority of our clients are insuring at least $10,000 a month of cover. Um, so although this statement's a good thing, um, it means that you know the insurers are able to effectively anything over and above $4,000 a month, they're able to look at placing an exclusion or, or loading on if they so wish. Frequently asked questions that I've been getting um, over the last couple of weeks. Does my insurance cover me if I get COVID-19? Uh, does my insurance cover me if I have to care for a family member with COVID-19? Look, effectively, your insurance, in particular your income protection, will cover you if you become ill, okay? Um, so if you become ill and cannot work past your waiting period on your income protection, then yes, you are covered. Um, if a family member becomes ill, then no, because it doesn't specifically impact um, you. They, they would need to have some form of policy themselves, okay? Uh, will policies pay out if you have to shut your practice? Um, that's been a, quite a common question. Um, unfortunately not. Um, again, I reiterate, you need to be ill in order to claim your policy. Um, what may occur, and this is, I guess, um, I don't want to preempt things, but if your practice is severely affected, um, that would be quite a stressful um, time. Um, so, as an economic consequence, and if you become stressed by that, um, then there's the potential to claim from that perspective because it becomes a, a health issue for yourself, okay? Um, so that's, I guess, an indirect consequence of where you could claim because of that uh, event happening. Um, but in terms of from that event directly happening, then the answer is no. Um, what happens to your insurance if you cannot pay your premiums? Um, we'll touch on this in some future slides um, because there are some things that the insurers are doing around financial hardship if your practice is affected. Um, but effectively, if you don't pay your premiums for three months, um, the insurer has the right to lapse your policy. Um, will your premiums increase if you make a claim? Uh, no, individually they won't. Um, if there's a large number of claims within a given time frame, the insurer will increase rates across the board and that will affect everybody. So if you make a claim, it doesn't affect your policy individually. And again, it's the same if you make a claim, will there be exclusions on your policy? On future increases to your policy, perhaps, um, but on the, the policy that you have in place, no. And I think that's, that's the reason why I think some people don't make claims. So yeah, keep in mind that, yeah, 
you can you can go on claim and then go back to work and then you can claim again for the same same event down the track without any issue. Um, what are you covered for? Well, depending on your policy, um, which is this is really important. Okay, if you have a retail policy outside of the superannuation environment you're most likely going to be covered for your specific occupation as a medical professional, okay? And I hope that's the case for the majority of you, okay? If you are relying on a policy that is solely funded through superannuation or in particular like an industry super fund, okay, then you do not have an own occupation definition and that means that you are not protected um, and covered for your specific occupation, okay? Um, that's something that's, really important. So if you're unsure of that, again, check with your advisor. Um, you may have, if you've had a policy for a long time and it was set up through a bank, um, there were some aligned policies um, a fair while ago, you may be eligible um, to access cover um, if you're an, let's say you're an employed doctor, um, and your practice is slowing down and you become involuntary redundant, you may have access to cover where the policies will pay your benefit to cover your mortgage repayments if your mortgage is with that aligned, uh, aligned provider. Again, check with your advisor. Um, standard contracts versus comprehensive contracts. Again, I would hope you have a comprehensive contract. If you do, check with your advisor because you may, if in the event that you contracted COVID-19 and you were in ICU, um, you wouldn't meet the standard definitions for claim. However, under a comprehensive contract, you would have a benefit called a bed confinement benefit. Okay, And if you're confined to a hospital bed or confined to a bed at home under the care of a registered medical practitioner, you, uh, for more than three consecutive days, you're eligible for one thirtieth of your monthly benefit for each day you're confined to that bed. Okay. Um, now, for, in some cases, that can add up to quite a lot of money. Okay. So, God forbid that this eventuated, but it's good to be aware that you know that type of benefit exists. Um, so, this is quite important too, from a from a financial hardship position um, uh, provision. We we have had some clients. Um, call us where they've had a downturn in their practice um, and because of the government policy with regards to um, the the tenants and they're effectively they're saying that tenants don't um, have to pay rent for up to six months that's causing some issues for some of our clients with investment properties so what you can look to do uh, if you can provide evidence of that to the insurer then there's some options with regards to reducing um, the cost of your insurance. So you can get a, a two to three month premium pause or holiday on your, on your premium payments with your policy. Um, some insurers will offer a retention discount of somewhere between three and 5%. And that's going to be on life, PPD and trauma insurance, not on income protection, but on your lump sum covers of life, TPD and trauma. Again, that's something that you need to rely on your advisor to negotiate for you. Um, your cover can be placed on hold for up to 12 months with some insurers. Um, again, you need to ask your advisor um, whether that's appropriate. You would need to keep in mind that in that type of situation, you're potentially not going to be covered. So you need to weigh that up. So again, for each of those, it's best to speak to your advisor uh, for what's appropriate. 
um, and they may be able to also negotiate some form of discount for you. Um, the impact on policies moving forward, um, as I mentioned earlier, what's important is that if you have a policy in place already, okay, um, when you, you, unless you took a policy out a couple of weeks ago um, or within the last week and you've, you've had one of these uh, modified terms put in place, then um, yeah, if you've had a policy in place for five years or 10 years, then, then it's guaranteed renewable. So as long as your premium's paid and up to date, okay, you are covered for COVID-19. Um, insurers are forecasting for a significant rise in mental health claims, okay? And that's going to result in increased premiums moving forward. Um, again, that's going to affect everyone, not just you individually. So be aware that that's going to come in the next probably two to three years as a flow on effect. Tips if you're taking out cover for the first time. I've mentioned it throughout this presentation. You want to have a comprehensive contract. You want to be covered for your specific occupation as a medical professional, okay? You want to have cover that's going to give you additional benefits like bed confinement benefit to be covering you for COVID-19, okay? Waiting periods, very important. Um, it depends on your individual circumstance. That's the time that will needs to elapse before you're eligible to claim. Benefit period is the time that your, um, your policy will pay out for. So through to age 65 or age 70 is still available. That might not be the case in a couple of years time. Again, speak with your advisor. Inside or outside of superannuation, both funding options um, are good depending on your circumstance. Um, keep in mind income protection is fully tax deductible when funded through cash flow. Premium structure is very important. And if you don't have a policy um, in place at the moment, then yeah, you, you need to pay attention to this chart where step premiums versus level premiums. Step premiums increase each year in line with age. Okay, level premiums will lock in the premium at your age now. The earlier you lock in a level premium, that's gonna save you a significant amount of money long-term, okay? Um, and ideally, um, you wanna sort of do that before the age of 48, 49. Um, once you get to the age of 48, 49, the financial advantage of a level premium will cease. Um, again, it's best to speak to your advisor with regards to the circumstance that's going to be most appropriate for you. Um, I hope I haven't rushed through that too quickly, but I, I'm, I'm mindful of um, you might have some questions. So thank you for your time and I'll open it up to um, any questions. Awesome, so thanks very much, Steve. Um, so just a reminder, so down the bottom middle of your screen is a Q&A box, which you can click on. You can type any specific questions. I've got a couple uh, that I'd like to start with, if I could, Steve. So obviously what you've shared today is that, you know, people have got insurance premium, you know, got insurance cover, but obviously I think the vast majority of us really don't understand necessarily what that is. And you sort of mentioned uh, maybe some areas of concern or things we might want to clarify around you know income protection so what actually protection do i have particularly in light of the the new world environment to be if it's meant to be capped at four thousand too many doctors that can survive on forty eight thousand a year and also then standard versus comprehensive contracts so i suppose the question is more you know how do i improve you know approach my advisor what sort of questions do i need to ask you know particularly in this current situation just to really understand the cover that i have not been paying for but probably don't really understand what it does cover Sure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. So 
yeah, if you're unsure of whether you have a standard or a comprehensive um, contract on your income protection cover, then you should be getting on the phone to your advisor within the next 24 hours, okay? Um, if you're a medical professional, you, you need to have comprehensive cover. Um, you, you need to be protected for your specific occupation and you, you need to have access to those ancillary benefits, um, especially in this environment with the bed confinement benefit. Because if, if, you, if you have a waiting period of 90 days, under your standard contract, you are not going to get, you're not going to be eligible for a benefit unless you're off work for 90 days. If you have a comprehensive contract and you have a bed confinement benefit, um, and you're in hospital for two weeks or, or four weeks, you, you're going to you're going to get paid out of benefit, and and that that can have a massive you know make a massive difference if you've got you know investment properties that you need to make the repayments on if you've got tenants that aren't paying rent. Excellent. And then just uh, from income protection. So once again, how, how do we, in the current situation, approach the clarity, um, you know, around what, you know, are there any changes to the cover? Or is it a case that if you've had the policy in place and they're meant to pay you 10 grand a month, it'll be 10 grand a month? Or is there sort of wriggle room for them in this current environment to be able to change that? So look, there are insurers that aren't applying any, um, yeah, COVID type exclusions at the moment, okay? So um, yeah, if you're, work, if you're working with an advisor that works with medical professionals, they should be able to access those providers, okay? Um, that don't have these exclusions in place at present, okay? Um, in saying that, if, if you've got some cover in place, yeah, I'd, I'd be definitely, you know, you wouldn't wanna be necessarily changing um, that cover uh, until you've, you've read the fine print of any new policy you're taking out at the moment. So if you, if you, does that answer the question, Paul, in terms of if you've got existing cover, then you want to be, yeah, definitely um, sort of keeping that in place because it's unlikely to have any exclusions. Um, and if someone's suggesting for you to look at other cover, then you need to make sure that, yeah, there isn't that type of exclusion being placed on it. Okay. And I mean, I think the other thing I was just taking out of it, obviously, is probably having you know, whatever relative advice is someone who actually does have experience dealing with medical professionals. Because I mean, what I've learned today, obviously, a standard contract obviously applies great universally across the board to the general public. But obviously, particularly for, you know, the medical profession could obviously be uh, not the cover that you've got. And I think that one of the challenges that we all have is that we, you know, sign on for these things and we think we understand what we're talking about. But realistically, I don't think there's probably a lot of us that do not, obviously, to that level. Um, can I, um, one of the other questions I here is uh, the sort of insurances a doctor should have. So there's the, you know, should or must have, but then probably nice to have. So, I mean, if you, when you're advising your clients, I suppose, if they want to start to buy insurance, unless you're going to start it from scratch or, or otherwise, I mean, what are the sort of covers that a doctor should have in place to best protect them and their families? Yeah, uh, sure. It's a great question. And it depends on the stage of their career. So, um, Obviously, as an, if you're looking at an intern or a junior doctor, um, like my nephew, he's just looking at income protection, okay? Um, he doesn't have any mortgage or, or kids or anything like that. So in, income protection is really important as a junior doctor. Then when you become an established consultant and look, if you've got family um, and, and significant debt levels, then you need to start looking at your other covers. So income protection is really a non-negotiable. Um, given the tax deductibility, um, it's effectively a no-brainer. 
um, life insurance becomes important as well because you want to be able to make sure that you can extinguish the debt on your principal residence at the very least and then provide an ongoing income stream for your family um, to cover you know private school fees um, and other associated costs and then you've got total and permanent disablement and any trauma insurance um, and look, I, I don't think they should be considered necessary add-ons um, you look at them to again you know total and permanent disablement is good cover to have to, to knock out your, your mortgage um, or cover medical and rehabilitation costs and then trauma insurance which covers about 40 conditions the main conditions that are claimed the majority of the time are cancer heart attack and stroke um, I mean if you hold trauma insurance you're a one in three chance of claiming if you hold it through to age 65 so um, yeah you should be looking at sort of you know, rule of thumb, one to two years worth of salary is, a, is an amount of trauma insurance is a, is a good solid amount of cover. And then as far as in life, is it what, is it should be commensurate with, you know, your position, okay, I owe X many dollars on my house and school fees would be X and then want the, my partner to have a, you know, passive income of Y. I mean, you know, like, yeah, 5, 10, 15, 20 million. I mean, how do you sort of work out what is the appropriate level of cover because, you know, obviously it costs more as you go up. Yeah, correct. So we look at a range of things. Um, we we look at what the what the client's debt level is um, in terms of debt on the principal residence. Um, we also look at investment debt as well. But I'll, in a lot of cases, the the investment properties can cater for the, the investment debt. Um, we look at what type of income stream the family would need in the event of a passing of of the of the breadwinner. Um, so yeah, if that's, let's say they've got a million dollar mortgage and they want to provide a $200,000 income stream. Okay. We're well, going to need at least a million dollars to knock out the, the debt. And then let's just, I don't know, a simple math, say 5% return. Well, you're going to need, you know, somewhere between three and a half to $4 million lump, additional lump sum. Okay, to provide that ongoing income stream in perpetuity, especially if you've got you know two to three children that are you know under the age of seven, um, it's like me. <laughs> so um, you you're going to need to you know have substantial amount of cover there. I, I think that yeah, there's a bit of the old adage. Oh, I need a million dollars of life cover. A million dollars of life cover doesn't go very far these days. And, and for our clients, our clients have got significant debt levels. You know, they've got kids in private schools. Um, and look, it unfortunately does happen. I've lost clients over the years. Um, I've seen clients with you know, significant illnesses and injuries. And um, unfortunately, um, well, fortunately the cover's been in place, but you know, unfortunately this stuff happens. Um, so and I think the people listening are probably more aware of that, acutely aware of that than, than me. Cool. Um, so another question I've got here. So you suggested a figure of at least 10,000 per month as an income protection. I know we just picked the number out of the sky in some respects. I mean, do you have any figures on what the average hospital specialist or GP specialist should insure for? So what are you normally seeing the sort of level of income protection that they're taking out? Uh, well, we encourage our clients to look at taking out the maximum amount they can for income protection because income protection in the event of a claim is taxed as income. Okay, so you can only insure up to 75% of the first 320,000 you earn. So that's $20,000 a month, okay? And the next 200,000 beyond that, you can insure 50% of. And so anything beyond 520,000, the insurer will only allow you to insure somewhere between 15 and 20% of. So 
um, you know, you, if you're yeah, if you're an established consultant working, you know, sort of depending on what stream, um, yeah, I mean, you can get access up to a sixty thousand dollar per month benefit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, most of my intern clients are starting off at around you know ten thousand dollars per month of cover, um, but consultants are probably starting off at around sort of at least fifteen thousand dollars a month and then trending upwards depending on their specialty and gps so yeah general practice again if you're a newly qualified general practitioner uh within the last three years then you've got access to fifteen thousand dollars per month of cover um so that's a general start so if you're just starting in and you don't have any sort of financial evidence to to show the insurer we have access to that type of benefit um and you know, if you were just applying generally for that, you would have to prove that you're earning 240,000 to get that benefit anyway. Um, so yeah, most of our GP clients are somewhere around that 15 to $20,000 per month. Okay, that would make sense. But ultimately the key thing is income protection is taxed as if it's income. So whatever you're currently planning, just pretend it's money you're getting is gross and then the tax man's gonna have a go at it before it gets to your family or yourself. Correct. And that's that's why the premium's tax deductible. Wow. Okay. Makes sense. Not too many tax deductions as well. Um, so another question on trauma cover. So if someone, if you've already got this in place, do most insurers consider COVID admissions or treatment uh, under this category? Yeah. Good question. Um, so yeah, there's no there's no um, specific condition um, under trauma policies. For, for COVID, so um, like if it's um, you suffer a, a, some sort of coronary issue um, following contracting COVID, then yeah, you're going to be able to get your trauma um, benefit paid out. Now, uh, those little asterisks that come up in those product disclosure statements, you, you need to be aware of with the trauma policy, you, you need to survive for 14 days. Um, in order to get paid out your trauma policy. Um, but in terms of, yeah, if you looked at the 40 conditions that are listed for for trauma cover, then, then no COVID is not going to be one of those specific conditions, but there will probably be, and our clients and probably the people listening would be probably more um, uh, better able to um, determine what trigger conditions could be affected um, by COVID. Yeah, it's obviously it's an upper respiratory infection. So it really obviously depends whether that would be considered a considered trauma as such. Obviously it's probably a acute version of it. Um, so look, I've come to the end of the questions. Um, I think the key thing is, so just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be sending you out a copy of this recording tomorrow. You will have Steve's contact details if you've got any specific questions of him. Uh, he's very happy to help. And uh, as I said, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting situation, but obviously it's an essential part of what we need to do to obviously protect. Well, it's probably more our families and obviously our, our asset base. You know, we don't be in a position that something happens to us and then we lose it all and have to start again, uh, particularly later in life. But it's a good point, I think, Stephen, you made around you know, the need for 448 to put in, obviously, you know, um, step cover. So also, you've obviously got a position where it's not going to be accelerating at a time. Maybe at 51, I might be a bit late. You know, we're going to argue we've got the insurances in place. God knows what I've got, though. You definitely sparked me to go back and have a conversation with my uh, advisor and answer those questions. Um, 
So thanks very much for your time, Stephen. Thank you very much, everybody, uh, for your time today. Uh, we'll be doing another webcast uh, next Thursday on business-related topics, and also on Monday, Professor David Wilkinson will be doing his weekly update on the COVID virus and obviously what it means to us in practice and also where the government's going in relation to it. Obviously, we're very happy to see it and we reported 90 cases today, so it's good to see we're on the downward flattening part of it. So let's hopefully uh, the good work continues and everyone behaves himself this weekend at Easter so that uh, we can continue and hopefully be let out of our houses sometime soon. All right. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Stephen. Have a great day. Thank you.